Turn your Bible to the book of Colossians, <clears throat> chapter 1, beginning with verse 15. Now, we have been studying through these Pauline epistles, and last Sunday we looked at Colossians chapter 1, the first part, and the last part of chapter 1. In the last part, we talked about the mystery, the hidden mystery, the partially revealed mystery, and the future mystery. But in between these two sections, there's a tremendous passage beginning in verse 15. I want us to notice this tonight as we think about seven great statements about Jesus. Seven great statements about Jesus and what to do about it. That's our word of prayer. Our Father, we thank you for the word of God with all of its authority and power and its teaching and instruction. And we pray that tonight we will believe what God says. This will lead us to honor who the Lord Jesus really is. And that we'll turn our lives to totally and completely over to thee. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Beginning in verse 15, the subject is Jesus who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unprovable in his sight. If you continue in the faith grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. Now I want you to notice, first of all, the seven great statements about Jesus. In verse 15 it says, He has made the very image of the invisible God. No one has ever seen God and lived. Now there are some instances in the Old Testament where one of the great men of God like Abraham or Moses or someone seem to be face to face with God. But if you'll notice carefully, God hid him in the cleft of the rock and passed by and he just saw the glory of God. The glory of God is Jesus. In Revelation chapter 4, when John arrives in heaven, and I believe chapter 4 verse 1 deals with the rapture, and so it reminds us that this is what we'll see when we get there. He saw the throne of God 
But he didn't see God. He saw Jesus. Isn't that interesting? Jesus is the manifestation of God. All we can ever know really of God is in Jesus. This is the reason it is impossible to go to heaven any other way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. It's only one way. And Jesus is the very image of God. If you want to know God, you have to know Jesus. Now what about Jesus do we know that makes us understand God? Jesus is love. Jesus is sovereign. Jesus is eternal. Jesus is unchangeable. Jesus is omnipotent. Jesus is omniscient. Jesus is omnipresent. Jesus is all the characteristics of God bound up in one. And so Paul says to the Colossian Christians, I'm talking about Jesus, who is the very image of God. Secondly, he says he is the firstborn of every creature. Now when you mention firstborn, it sounds like you're talking about time. But the Greek word used here doesn't relate to time so much as it does to honor and a title. He is first. He is primary. He is above all. And so when it says he is the firstborn, he is the one above everyone else, above every creature and every creation. It is a title of honor and in Psalm 89, 27, it is also the title of the Messiah. And so Jesus is the Messiah. You just think of that. All right? Thirdly, look in verse 16. By him were all things created. In John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word was God, the same as the beginning with God. Without him was not anything made that was made. So Jesus is the creator. How can Jesus be the creator and still be the second person of the Trinity? That leads us to an understanding of the Godhead. Now this is where the Muslims don't understand the Christians at all. The Mormons too. They think we serve three gods. They think we're polytheistic. They think we serve God the Father, God the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, that they're all three different. The scripture says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy Elohim, plural, is one Lord. Just one. He manifests himself as the Father Creator, as the Son Redeemer, as the Holy Spirit, the agent by whom he does the work in earth. So, what happens to you when you believe in Jesus, when Christ comes into your heart? The Holy Spirit comes in. Technically speaking, the second person of the Trinity is in heaven making intercession for the saints. Now, as this blows your mind, it's okay. If you could understand God, you wouldn't, uh, you'd be God. Do you know why God came to earth? So we can know who God is. 
Someone was walking along one day and saw a bunch of ants crawling around. The Bible says, go to the ant, thou sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. They do all kinds of interesting things if you study them carefully enough. And the man said, uh, how in the world could I ever really understand an ant? I could study him, but how could I understand him, really? The other guy said, you'd have to become an ant to understand an ant. How would an ant ever understand a man? That ant would have to become a man to understand a man. That's what happened with God. God came to earth as a man so we could understand God and so we would know how to get to God and what God was like. And so when this says he is the, he created all things, this simply means that Jesus is the creator, the second person of the Trinity. He and God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all one. Fourthly, look at verse 17. He is before all things. He's preeminent. He's above everything. Now, talking about Jesus now. How dare we take his name in vain? I hear people on the radio saying the byword, Jesus, that's profanity. They probably don't understand that. But that's a minced oath. That's taking the name of the blessed God of all creation in vain, just as if, if they were saying, using the name God. He is before all things. Fifthly, look at verse 17. By him all things consist. That is, everything is held together by Jesus. Look at verse 18. He is the head of the body, the church. The church only has one head, and that's Jesus. Now, in a Baptist church, usually we vote on things because we're a human body that needs to know the mind of Christ. And Baptists through the years have been persuaded that when we vote, after we've prayed, that we're seeking the mind of Christ. And so, in a Baptist church, when we vote, the majority carries. Because we're assuming that everybody has prayed about it. And we're seeking to do the will of God. Nonetheless, the scripture says, he is the head of the body. Jesus is first. Number seven, it pleased the Father that in him should all the fullness of God dwell. Everything that could ever be said about God, everything that ever be known about God was in Jesus. And when Jesus was here, God was walking the earth. Now, certainly he took upon himself certain limitations. When he was here, he could only be in one place at a time. He laid aside that part of the deity. God is in all places at all times. When Jesus was here, he was only in Jerusalem or Bethany or Cana or Capernaum. He wasn't in all those places at one time. However, he still had the mind of God. So that when somebody came to him and said, uh, my son 
is very, very sick. And Jesus said, uh, I'll come and talk with him. Then the word came, he's dead. And Jesus said, we'll go wake him. He's not really dead, he's asleep. They didn't understand that, but Jesus knew. How did he know? Because he's God. He knows all things. All right? So he is the head of the body. It pleased the Father that in him should all the fullness dwell. Now, as a result of that, there are several things that we want to mention, at least three. Look at verse 20. <clears throat> he made peace through the blood of the cross. He made peace through the blood of the cross. You and I were at enmity with God. Our base nature doesn't like God. We don't want anybody to rule over us. We don't want anybody to tell us what to do. We want to do what we want to do. And so we carry on. But when Jesus comes in, he becomes our peace. So that it is not so important for me to be right all the time as for me to seek what is God's will. What is God's plan? He is the peace. Look at verse 21. And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. He hath brought us together so that we're at peace with God. The middle wall of partition, which is sin, has been torn away. And we're reconciled to God. Now look at verse 22. In the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. What is the purpose of this reconciliation? Just so we can go to heaven? Are we saved just so, like a fire insurance policy against hell? Notice what he says. And let's take it seriously. He desires to present us holy and unblameable and unreprovable before God. It's interesting in Ephesians. Turn back to Ephesians just a moment. Look at chapter 5. Beginning in verse 25. Husband, love your wife, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it by the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Now he's using a human illustration about a husband and wife to say this is what God does in our lives. He makes us holy. His plan is for us to separate ourselves from sin and selfishness. or a worldly opportunity, and depends on what you class as worldly. Keep that in mind. Worldly has to do with self-entertainment. There's nothing wrong with certain entertainments unless they conflict with spiritual truths and spiritual revelations. And so you and I have to constantly decide every day, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? To go to church or do I go play a basketball game? Do I go to church or do I go shopping? 
Do I talk to somebody about Jesus or do I sit home and watch television? There's a constant question. Lord, what will thou have me to do? Because it is his will to present us holy, unblameable, unreprovable in his sight. And then he makes a sort of a PS statement. Look in verse 23. If you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. So he's saying now, God's plan is for us to be holy and unblameable and unreprovable if you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope. So when we get away from God, we get all involved in the world, the flesh, and the devil. We get all involved in gossip. We get all involved in knowing certain things and doing nothing about it to change anybody's life. Does that mean we have moved away from the pillar and ground of truth? Our whole plan is to be holy, unblameable, unreprovable, and not move away from what God wants us to be. He wants us to be grounded and settled and not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard and which was preached. So the whole thought in this passage is we're saved by Jesus who is God and his plan is to make us more like Jesus day by day. Sometimes we sing the song, More Like the Master I Would Ever Be. We began the service tonight by, My faith looks up to thee, thou Lamb of Calvary. Oh, how wonderful to know the Lord. You and I need to constantly keep in mind, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And when we find out what he wants us to do, do it. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage of Scripture. How wonderful that God has designed the Bible to show us little details of our lives. Help us to love Christ with all of our heart and mind and soul and strength. To recognize who you are and day by day to come and say, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, please. Turn to hymn number 13 again tonight. Since I started for the kingdom, what a wonderful song that is. And as we sing it, if the Holy Spirit has spoken to your heart about any matter, do what he asks you to do. There's some in this room who have been called to preach. You haven't surrendered to that yet. You've been sort of waiting. You're afraid maybe because call to preach means preparation. You don't just get up and start talking through hot air. You prepare. You think it through. What does God want? Some of you have been a little bit on the periphery. Why don't you move into the center? And then there are some here who have been saved but have not followed the Lord in baptism. You need a church home. Do what God tells you to do. While we sing, while we pray, this is God's invitation. Do what he says you to do.